You don't have any Stephen King. You've got the shiny. You mean shiny. Shh. You wanna get sued? It's just your fate. You're that geeky Stephen King kid. There's one of you in every school. Okay, that's him, that's him, that's Cujo, that's Cujo. I was thinking along the lines of no TV and no beer make Homer something, something. Oh, crazy. Don't mind if I do. Hello and welcome to Tower Junkies, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. Tower Junkies is a podcast celebrating the work of Stephen King, hosted by two lifelong constant readers. We do non-spoiler and spoiler reviews of King's published work and take a critical look at his film and television adaptations as well. We also discuss the latest King news and check in with each other on our ongoing King obsessions. It's the podcast where all things serve the King. You can find more of our work at TowerJunkiesPod.com. You can also like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash TowerJunkiesPod and follow us on Twitter and every other level of social media, meaning Instagram, at TowerJunkiesPod. And if you'd like to support what we do here, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer for a ridiculous amount of bonus content spread across all of obsessiveviewer.com's various podcasts. Um, Currently, I am doing a weekly uh, review series on um, nightmares and dreamscapes. I'm going story by story and recording my thoughts on each uh, individual story. Um, uh, I previously did that for Skeleton Crew and Night Shift. So if you sign up at the $2 or above levels, you'll have instant access to, at this point, a rid- an ungodly amount of hours of content um, on that alone. And I also do TV reviews and other book reviews. And, uh, and at the $5 and above levels, you get uh, that plus commentary tracks and what I call Patreon potpourri of me talking about movies and everything. So uh, a lot of stuff. Go check it out. Patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. I'm one of your hosts, Matt Hurt, and you can find me on Twitter at Tower Junkies Pod or at obsessive viewer. And joining me as usual is Tiny. Tiny, how is it going? Going good, man. Hello, fellow Stevies. (laughs) Fellow Stevies. I was just... I was just thinking, there's no, like, nickname for Stephen King fans out there, is Well, there? constant readers. <laughs> uh, but that's too general. That's not specific that, to Stephen King. Well, yeah. I mean, it is It is kind of co-opted by Stephen King. Um, yeah. But right. it, it is... I do feel like there should be something a little bit more kingy than that. But... Totally. But, yeah. Yeah. Stevie, I mean, we we'll, we'll, we'll come we'll come up with something and yeah. we'll uh we'll, we'll trademark it and get rich. Yes. Oh God. Yes. Please. Um. <laughs> again, Patreon.com/slash obsessive viewer. Um. <laughs> so, yes. So today on the podcast, Tiny, we're going to be reviewing Carrie, uh, King's first published novel. Um. Very excited uh to talk to you about that. Uh, this is one of those novels that I had and have on rotation just like I'll listen to the audiobook while I'm working um and just kind of have it sort of as background background noise but um yeah it's 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 a good one I, I like it I don't think it's on my top 10 top 19 but we'll talk about that after the review <laughs> but it's, uh it's very very uh palatable I would say um Boy. yeah 
Um, but before that, we're going to do our standard uh, news and check-ins. Um, Tiny, do you have any Stephen King check-ins this evening? Hmm, I don't think I do, actually. I have not been reading um, Stephen King stuff lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't. I mean, other than, you know, the an episode we did with uh, Kim C. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's about it. Nice. Um, did you, you didn't dive into any other skeleton crew stories, did you? have not yet no yeah um any on nightmares and dreamscapes that catch your eye at all because i know that we're hopefully going to have kim c back for another episode um with a couple of stories from nightmares and dreamscapes um once i finish my patreon series and everything so um off the top of your head or like seeing like the list or anything i know that i just sprung that on you uh any Yeah, yeah Nothing that's really jumping out. I know at one point you told me about story. I want to say it's not in Nightmares and Dreamscapes. It's called The Ledge. Is that on? Oh, yeah. That's in uh, Night Shift. Um, Night Shift. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The well, Ledge is good. really cool. Um, yeah. 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 That one, that one is wild. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I have told you that i um i would recommend on nightmares and dreamscapes i would recommend dolan's cadillac and chattery teeth um there's also uh popsy is pretty good um oh the moving finger i really liked um and you know they got a hell of a band and yeah and the 10 o'clock people are is cool too um yeah so there's some cool stuff uh but check out my review series on patreon guys um patreon.com slash obsessive viewer um yes. yeah yeah and we will dive into nightmares and dreamscapes uh in uh, in a later installment of this podcast but uh we are going to hopefully do like a whole series on carrie because there's so much to this uh to this work um like we have two two direct uh adaptations on on film on uh, in movie form feature film a made for tv uh one a sequel that we're probably not going to cover um but there's a lot there's a lot to carry um yeah uh that's sh- the content that we'll provide about Carrie is sure to carry us through this summer or something i don't know um but yeah my only stephen king check-in is that i've been reading nightmares and dreamscapes um and I've been yeah. finding myself really enjoying. So this is this is a slight tangent. Um, uh, I've been going to the pool at my complex, and I just found like like I understand why people like reading like by the pool or by the beach. Like it is so relaxing. It is so like I never really have done that before. Um, yeah, I don't know. So it's, it's cool. Yeah, whenever we uh, go on one of our beach vacations, I always try to bring like a physical book with me mm-hmm. to read on the beach. Yeah, I, I, nice. there's something about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's very nice. Um, mm-hmm. 
yeah, friend of the show who doesn't listen to the show, but friend of the show, Mike, who, uh, you know, has appeared on the podcast and, uh, did the theme song for Obsessive Viewer and uh, is an OG co-host from Obsessive Viewer. Uh, he read Billy Summers while he was on vacation in Florida. Um, and he was, nice. yeah, he was texting me about it. He really enjoyed it. And yeah, uh, obviously I liked it too. Um, nice. yeah, yeah. Um, so do you want me to go ahead and run down a couple of Stephen King news items, Tiny? Yes. Okay. So I've got two pieces of news. Um, the first being that the new uh, the new movie um, adaptation of Salem's Lot that was originally going to be um, uh, Labor Day weekend in theaters um, that got shifted, <laughs> uh, moved all the way to April twenty first, twenty twenty three. Which didn't come as a surprise to me because we have had zero promotional material about this movie. Um, And apparently it's likely due to COVID-related delays in post-production. I guess this is something that is industry-wide. It's it's something that's been a uh, an issue in the film industry. And yeah, so I don't know what I don't know what like the fall like movie landscape is gonna be if you know, other show, other movies get kind of postponed and everything, but do you have any thoughts on this? And you, yeah. Do you have any thoughts on this? Um, I, I didn't realize that was an industry wide, the whole mm-hmm. pandemic thing or COVID thing. Yeah. That's um, what I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. Just to me, it's, it seemed like a bit of a, uh, convenient excuse because they mm-hmm. did reshoots like six weeks ago or whatever. So, yeah. Right, like, oh, let's just throw this out there as an excuse so we can kind of re-edit this thing and mm-hmm. see if we can save it because it sucks. Yeah, that's also what I'm <laughs> <That's>, nervous about. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I can't get excited about this movie. I wish mm-hmm. I could. Um, it just feels, I, I don't know, it just feels, I don't know if it's cash grab or if it's mm. just like, like, eh, let's do a Salem's Lot movie. Who can we get to do it? And they just kind of yeah. sit together from there. I. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but, um, well, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's yeah. a bummer that I won't be here for the fall. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it, for some reason it feels like a fall type of story. I can't remember if it takes place in fall. Um, yeah. but I think also just vampires kind of feel like a fall kind of thing, but mm-hmm. I know that it is directed by like one of the writers of, uh, it, for um Andy Muschietti's it movies um mm. and i think that's probably why it, like okay we've got you know we got a lot of success with it and it chapter 2 so let's go full bore into stephen king which is great but i don't know um i don't know we'll i mean we'll see in april but um apparently it is set it, it is going to be set in the 70s which is pretty interesting to me um I'm glad they're not making it like a modern thing. Cause I think that will hopefully bode well for it, but who knows? Um, yeah, that's yeah. good. I didn't realize it was in the seventies either. Yeah. Um, also <laughs> it's kind of nice because, um, my plan, uh, was to do like, Oh, Salem's lot. And then the Salem's lot movie and TV movie and stuff for, for tower junkies, but now we can push that to next year, <laughs> um, which is good yeah. because 
like I've fallen behind on like carry and Firestarter and stuff like all that's going to take us through the rest of the year pretty much. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. So we'll see what happens in April. Um, The other piece of news I have is that uh, the headline from Cinnabum, wow, Cinema Blend is Stranger Things creators talk Stephen King's The Talisman adaptation and how executive producer Steven Spielberg's influence shines through the horror. Um, so yeah, so the Duffer brothers from, uh, who are behind Stranger Things, um, the, they are going to adapt the talisman as a Netflix series. Um, this was first announced last March, uh, not last March, but March, 2021. And it's interesting. I have not read the talisman. Um, tiny, you haven't either. If not okay yeah that is on the docket for us that and black house um but um i so okay i've i've been vocal about this but like one of my very snarky kind of things is that like oh okay well it'll be cool to see the duffer brothers you know adapt stephen king rather than just rip him off <laughs> um <laughs> because stranger things does play with stephen king stuff like it's it's just so heavily influenced to be uh, to the point of being kind of uh i don't know kind of just ripping it off for me um in my opinion so i don't know it it's kind of annoying um but i i mean i uh, sure i think it'll be cool <laughs> yeah lots lots of good things i mean i'm very curious to see the duffers do else besides stranger things yeah um that's exciting and i mean it's on netflix and steven spielberg is involved that's a hell of a formula so yeah oh yeah it's exciting um there's also a quote in this mm-hmm. cinema blend article article where um they're talking about the talisman and like there's a lot of supernatural things there's uh a werewolf and all this stuff and he was like uh but at, but at its core, it's really about a mother and a son and their relationship and their love for one another. But that would, that's an inspiring quote, I guess, because it feels like they really get King and how it's about the yeah. characters most of the time and the horror and whatever else that's going on is kind of ancillary or is kind of in spite of the true uh, you know character relationships and stuff like that. So hopefully yeah. that's bodes well for the format and plot and stuff of uh of the talisman so yeah that was good yeah that's a really good point yeah um yeah i i i mean as 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 back and forth as i am on stranger things and the influence from king i it'll be it'll be interesting to see them actually tackle a king property um yeah and with steven spielberg being involved that's very interesting um but yeah, but it's worth noting that the 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 pro they are very very early in the process. So obviously they're going to do season five of Stranger Things, and then after that maybe they'll focus on the Talisman. But they are launching like Upside Down Productions, I think, which is going to be a whole production company. So they'll have a lot of irons and a lot of fires. So um, I think I think that's incredible. <laughs> Sorry, no worries. Um. Sorry, my headphones fell off. <laughs> um, 
I think that's inspiring as well. The fact that they're trying to finish Stranger Things before they try something else because it's good yeah. for Stranger Things and the Talisman. Like, mm-hmm. it just makes me think back to Game of Thrones mm-hmm. when David Benioff and the other guy, DB Weiss, were, yeah, DB Weiss, they were like moving on to other shit, and yeah. the last season sucked. So, yep, yeah, I think that's yeah. a good thing. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, so we'll see. Uh, yeah, we'll see whenever it comes out. I'm. I would wager that it probably won't come out for. I I thought I read somewhere that Stranger Things season five it w- isn't even going to be expected until like 2024, but I don't know. Yeah, I saw that too. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it'll be it'll be a while before the Talisman comes out. Um. Yeah. yeah. So. That's all the news and check-ins I have. Do you have anything else, uh, Tiny, or should we dive into our carry review? Um, I think we're probably ready to go. Okay, nice. All right. Well, um, as I said before, we're going to be reviewing Carrie. Um, uh, uh, King's first published novel. It was published April fifth, nineteen seventy-four, by Doubleday. And, uh, and yeah, so we're going to, as we usually do, do a non-spoiler and spoiler review. Um, I'm going to separate those with a clip from like, uh, or a piece of music to separate it, but check the show notes for timestamps for, to navigate it and everything. But, uh, yeah, so to get into our review, I'm going to read the plot summary courtesy of stephenking.com and the synopsis is... The story of misfit high school girl Carrie White, who gradually discovers that she has telekinetic powers. Repressed by a domineering ultra-religious mother and tormented by her peers at school, her efforts to fit in lead to a dramatic confrontation during the senior prom. So, Tiny, why don't you go ahead and give me an overview of your history with Carrie? I know that you just recently read it for the first time. Um, so like, give me your history and like, what, is there any particular reason why you didn't, um, uh, why, why you, Carrie escaped you? Yeah, I, uh, I, I kind of just, um, have stayed away from the, for the whole franchise really. Um, my only actual experience with Carrie is the, 2013 movie, I think, with uh, mm-hmm. Chloe Grace Moretz. That's the only Harry property I had seen before this mm-hmm. year. Um, I think the reason I kind of ever tackled it is because I feel like I'd already seen it and already read it because I just I, I the story is so uh it's so um part of the pop culture like the story's just out there like what happens you know like everyone knows what goes on um and so i just felt like i already knew the story and i felt like i didn't really need to read it or see the movie or anything just because it's 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 part of the zeitgeist and uh which is not a good excuse really or a good reason (laughs) um i don't know i just i kind of always i don't really have a good excuse or a good reason other other than that other than that it's just kind of almost a ubiquitous story um, but I, 2013 movie, I liked it fine. I thought, mm-hmm. it, I thought it was a, a, a fine movie. Um, and the book, I, of course I really liked it, but I, I, I need to read it again because mm-hmm. one of those deals where I kind of lost the thread once or twice. Yeah. 
Um, Interesting. But I think a, lo- a lot of the themes and a lot of the character traits, because again, you know, it's it's typical King that the characters mm-hmm. are what drives the story. And uh, I think those themes and those traits stuck with me. And those are the things that I really liked about it. Um, I also know part of the book is epistolary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when you listen to it in audiobook, that kind of gets lost a little bit or it doesn't the effect of it is not Mm -hmm. as effective yeah um so i and it's not a long book i think the audiobook was nine hours or something like that it was yeah i think about about nine hours it's it's a it's a very short book uh yeah compared to other king novels right exactly so yeah i need i need to get a uh, physical copy of it and 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 read it to, to really get the full effect um i i definitely liked it i was um just a, a pretty, pretty broad range of emotions, uh, reaction wise to the book mm-hmm. too. I think that was kind of wasn't expecting that. I guess, um, yeah, I, I definitely liked it. It's, uh, I think it would it would probably pending a reread would probably have a place on a top list somewhere. But oh, uh, nice. No, we'll we'll see. Yeah, nice. Um, yeah, you know, it's interesting because. As someone who has read this book and listened to the audiobook several times, it's more of a comfort novel for me in in a very weird way. Like, it's a novel that, like, I know what I'm expecting. I know what I'm getting into, which is the same with every King novel as well. But I I don't know exactly why I return to it so frequently. Um part of that is is because it is very contained it's very much a small smaller statured novel um as opposed to say Salem's Lot or The Shining or any of the like other early king works so it's a little bit less of a commitment to kind of commit to oh I'm going to reread Carrie it's not like I'm saying like oh I'm going to revisit Derry for another 1200 pages again <laughs> um for it but um, there's just something that makes it a little bit more palatable and a little bit more grounded for me in 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 a way. And maybe it is because of the epistolary format, because there's a lot in it where it's just like, okay, well, leading up to the big event at the end of the book, we get that up front. We can like we we get bits and pieces throughout it, but we also get like these little these little fragments of detail about the bullying and about the, the dynamics in the high school and that kind of teen angst and hormone driven um, atmosphere and everything, which I find really compelling when King writes about it. And like here it's, it's, it's just like this, um, this <laughs> i don't know it, it's this it's this kind of like slow building and then very very fast building like locomotive that's coming whereas with like christine we have which is kind of interesting because christine and carrie are kind of kind of different sides of the same coin like one's like female focused one's male focused um and it's about teenagers like i'm like in my head i'm like i'm like writing an essay but um 
but I just find it really interesting the way that King explores the uh, the teen social dynamics in in Carrie. Um, yeah, and we'll talk more about that in depth, but I do want to mention that on StephenKing.com, uh, there is a little section for, um, kind of, kind of a little paragraph about the inspiration for the novel. So I'm going to go ahead and just read that from stephenking.com. Um, okay. So here we go. Uh, the, the character Carrie was a composite of two girls Stephen knew during high school. The story is largely about how women find their own channels of power and what men fear about women and women's sexuality. Carrie White is a sadly misused, misused teenager. Uh, an example of the sort of person whose spirit is so often broken for good in that pit of man and woman eaters that is your normal suburban high school. But she's also a woman feeling her powers for the first time and, like Samson, pulling down the temple on everyone in sight at the end of the book. Uh, that's a quote presumably from King. But, uh, but yeah, so uh, did how did you feel about the... Um, those kind of dynamics, the kind of cruelty of teenagers and hormones that run throughout the novel. Yeah, it's captured so well in this book. And I think it was, was it in, I think it was in on writing when King was talking about writing Carrie, oh, he kind of like gave up on it for a little bit. And he, mm-hmm. he was like, I don't know how to write a teenage girl. Um, and which is fair, Mm-hmm. And he, I think he showed it to his wife and his wife was like, you dumbass, I'm right here. Like I can help <laughs> you with this. Um, I was a teenage girl. I can help you write this story. Yeah. Um, and obviously I can't relate to that part of the story, at least not directly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's just incredibly well done. And I think what amplifies it so much is the fact that it's not, um, it's not just the fact that Carrie is, lead and uh, treated poorly at school it's that she comes home and she gets a whole nother form of it and it's yeah. um she she doesn't ever get a break you know no. i think the only time she gets a break is when she falls asleep at night you know mm-hmm. and that's incredibly um tragic and just uh, i mean it's it's kind of it's kind of terrifying in and mm-hmm. of itself that like this the wonder that she you know um it's it's a wonder that she didn't break down sooner, mm-hmm. you know, than than her the age of sixteen, you know. Yeah, yeah, and that's something that I I will say that right from the outset, like that opening, the opening of the story is so like visceral and iconic. The the uh, the kind of the the plug it up scene, the tampon scene, the the you know the period scene. Like I believe that. King said that he had that idea as kind of a singular idea um, of that being the start of it. And then he went from there. But like listening to that and reading that section just really brings us into the story in a, in a very just heartbreaking and horrifying way. And that's something that King does so well is show the horror of humanity and like the cruelty of human beings without any supernatural stuff most like sometimes and like having that be the lead for the story having that be our gateway into the story like okay this this girl who is 16 has not yet had her first period and she suddenly gets it 
and she thinks that she's dying like that psychologically is so scarring and horrifying and i think it's it's written incredibly well um and it's just it yeah yeah and when you kind of uh um dovetail that into uh carrie's home life with with her mother and this just completely deranged unhinged religious zealot it's it's just it's it's a tragedy it is an absolute tragedy of a story and i and i love it for that and there's hardly even any uh hardly any redeemable characters there's a few yeah. the gym teacher you know she's yeah. um she's a bit conscientious you know um as well as the character of sue yeah kind of she's a good person really um mm. she has remorse for how she reacted initially and yeah. tries to make up for it um but so many of the other characters especially the ones that directly affect Harry, are just atrocious um yeah the the chris character mm-hmm. um she's kind of like the lead popular girl who yeah. kind of led the whole the tampon scene um she's just evil i mean her her vindictiveness is so yeah it's, it's just crazy and like she's just an awful human being and then her her mother that we kind of touched on already and mom kind of mm-hmm. tells her some things and goes into it that her dad was just probably just as bad yeah yeah it's the... like she just never she never stood a chance mm-hmm. i mean it's it's, it's really remarkable uh, absolutely. And when it goes into the detail about um, her father and mother and how um, she, he he assaulted her and raped her and, and, and also like the guilt that her mother felt, just like the, all of that, and we can talk more in spoilers, but all of that is just so, it, it creates this compounding kind of thing with the story where you know where you know what's coming you know what's going to happen but the tension keeps building and the tension doesn't have that release until the end but it's populated like the story is populated by several like like you said irredeemable characters but even those irredeemable characters have circumstances in their life that are sort of um uh, there's a vulnerability to them or, um, some, some of their actions are not, well, maybe not their actions, but some of their, like they're victims of circumstance in some cases, and they're victims of, of situations that are beyond their control or, or they're survivors of trauma, but they, but that doesn't excuse their like cruelty or anything in the, in the main story. But, I don't know. It's it's just such an interesting um, narrative structure to have the this be the lead up to a catastrophic, horrific event, and have it be following the uh, the protagonist of the story being this incredibly vulnerable and uh, driven by hormones young woman who uses like this telekinetic ability um eventually to do some real damage um so i just find it interesting that like of all the characters carrie is the most 
uh, well-defined and the most kind of, I guess, relatable to an extent or the most um, redeemable in a way, although maybe not. <laughs> well, I think for me, I think it's it's fascinating that you kind of never lose empathy for. I no. think even as we get into the, um, you know, the conflict and the climax of the book where she's just wreaking havoc. Mm-hmm. Um, Going ham, like, well, as kinda, the kids say. As they say, as mm-hmm. they say. Um, you, you still think, well, I mean, she's kind of justified. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. These, these people were horrible to her. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, I don't know if you think she's justified, but it's like, no. at least understand. You can, like I said, you can at least empathize yeah. what she's doing you know whereas so many of the other characters their their drive and their influence mm-hmm. is just it's either let's say delusion with her mm-hmm. mom or it's just plain vindictiveness and evil basically yeah like chris chris in general has this arc throughout the story where again she's kind of depicted as as somewhat um uh somewhat oh god what's uh, there's a word i'm looking for like somewhat uh sympathetic in that um she's in that relationship with oh god what's his name billy is it billy nolan might be no i don't know but anyway um she's in that relationship and she is someone who is um uh, she, I don't know. She's, she's someone who like, like there's a, there's a moment where they're planning out the, the prank and they're planning it out. They're preparing for it and everything. And we're in her POV. We're in her like inner monologue. And she's talking about how, yeah, she'll have sex with him tonight. Um, because if she doesn't give him sex, he'll take it. And it's just so casual yeah. and terrible, but She's also doing this stuff where it's not, I'm not saying that it's, I'm not saying that it has to be one or the other or anything, but I'm saying that it's a complex character and that she's also this person who is very much entitled and feels that she is owed a certain amount of respect, even though she does these horrific things. Like she, like when, when her boyfriend yells at her, she, like her, her thought is, like you can't talk to me like that. My dad's a lawyer. <laughs> um <laughs> and like that's that's funny, but it's also like this is it's such an interesting story. It's an interesting novel because so many elements of it, so many kids, so many characters seem seem as though they are either um uh, I don't they're kind of beholden to their parents or they are victims of their parents in, in a certain, uh, in a certain, uh, uh, sense. So I don't know. I just, I just, I find the, the teen characters to be really, really interesting throughout it, which is what all the characters are basically. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I get that. Yeah. Um, one of the other things that jumped out at me thematically is, mm. um, this book came out in the seventies and, I, I would say around, you know, um, probably the mid 2000s or so, um, 
anti-bullying became mm-hmm. huge part of the education system in the, in the United States. Um, this day, it doesn't matter if it's an elementary yeah. school or a middle school or a high school, there's a lot of, I don't know if propaganda is the right word, but there's a lot of information about anti-bullying all over the school. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's a big deal now. And obviously for the better. Um, and what I find interesting about this book is that um, it comes from a time where that didn't exist, right? That mm-hmm. wasn't wasn't a movement at the very least. Yeah. And bullying in fiction, at least in my experience, bullying is mostly used for comedic effect at this time. Yeah. All the way into the 80s and 90s, you know, there's the asshole jock who mm-hmm. gives, gives the the nerd a swirly, you know, or pulls his pants down in the hallway and everyone laughs at him. Mm-hmm. And people in the audience are supposed to laugh at it. Right. Yeah. There, there's, there's a few exceptions. Right. But I think for the most part, that's how, as a, as a theme, that's how bullying was used um, at the time. But in this story, it's nothing about any of the bullying is funny. No. Um, and, and, you know, I think obviously one of the main reasons for that is because the, um, the, you know, the, the victim of bullying is the main character. Mm-hmm. Um, but even still, like if you look at other, I'm trying to think of other movies or, uh, stories that have, you know, the main character gets bullied. Um, I think, I think yeah. what sets this apart even more is the fact that, um, it's, it's the, the, the bullying is horrific. Like it's, yeah. it's used as an, like an element of horror or mm-hmm. um, just like, like, like blatant trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's psychological trauma, like something like revenge of the nerds. Like that's kind of yeah. a goofy example. It's, it's, it's a comedy, but still the main characters are the victims of it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, they're just kind of, they're kind of angry and it makes them, it gives them drive to go kind of get back at the jocks, you know? And yeah, and, I understand that's maybe not the best example, but you know, in, in this one, it's 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 unique, especially for the time. Yeah, that the bullying is is used to that effect, and it's so effective. It's disturbing. It's super disturbing and uh, and horrific and dramatic. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It has this. Um, it has such a level of cruelty to it, and it has this. Um, this energy behind it that obviously none of it's like you said is none of it none of it is for comedic effect or anything but there's this it it defies what kind of happens in pop culture a lot of of the time and everything like you said because it is that cruelty of you know teenagers and everything and the fact that like the things that happen in this story the things that happen in the novel are kind of they they're basically the chain of events start with the girls like laughing at Carrie for having a period and then that escalates to them getting detention and or getting cuz the one compassionate adult in in the uh in the story um wants to like take away their right to go to prom because of their behavior and everything. And that just creates this chain chain reaction that is, it's kind of interesting to think about it because 
it it kind of it it, it kind of does double duty in having it be about uh like teenagers taking things way too seriously um like taking things way too personally i'm talking about like chris in general like chris and billy and and their their actions and everything but also it's something that uh has this air of teenagers not knowing what a proportionate response is <laughs> or not knowing like just going complete, like not having the restraint or the maturity to to just let something slide or to let something be or let someone be. Um, even when it's something that is kind of presented in a in sort of a positive way or in a um uh kind of redemptive way, like with Sue uh telling Tommy that you know she need, he needs to ask Carrie to to prom and everything like that is that is self-serving on Sue's part but also it also just leads to just the most tragic thing <laughs> like the the hope and the the kind of wistfulness of Carrie at the prom is just like before it all goes to hell is just so tragic and sad um because it's I don't know uh, I don't know it, it be, because it's so hard to kind of remember how how important that your social status in like a high school is when you're a teenager and that's your entire world like I mean we've both been out of high school for almost 20 years almost 20 years almost almost 20 years Jesus <laughs> um and like yeah it's I like I don't think about it. <laughs> it's, but it's 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 wild. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, that that whole scheme at the prom is has an extra layer of cruelty yeah. to it. You know, it's it's I mean it's it's um surprisingly elaborate mm -hmm. for some shitty teenagers to come <laughs> up with. Yeah. Um but it's I don't appreciate it for that. I'm just like, it's just, it's, it's wicked how, how diabolical it is. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, do you want to, well, let me, let me, let me kind of talk about bullying a little bit. Um, and then we can go into spoilers, but, um, I don't know why, like, I don't, uh, this isn't really interesting or anything, but, um yeah, do you remember there being much bullying in in high school? I was going to kind of ask you the same thing. Yeah. Um you know, I think if you had asked me when I was 17 or 18, I'd have been like, although I don't there's no bullying mm -hmm. in our school, you know. Um and and I again, I think that kind of goes back to um sort of the perception of what bullying is. We think of the jock yeah. given the nerd a swirly, right? Or mm -hmm. wedgie, whatever. Uh, we think of it as physical, I guess, but um, now that I don't remember any anything mm. like that in all four years. But there was some verbal things, uh, yeah, just put, putting people down and mm -hmm. um, kind of ganging up on people. That I did see, and I don't, I didn't, I don't think I participated in any of it. But I was kind of a 
observer and a conscientious mm-hmm. observer, I could have stopped it. Yeah. Um, but you know, I looking back, I, there's a whole peer pressure and mm-hmm. kind of the whole, you know, I, I don't know how to do, I don't know what to do about this. And there, there were once one or two times looking back where I was like, you know, I should have probably said something there. Even in the moment when I was a teenager, I was like, I probably should have said something or stopped that. But yeah, um, I, I don't know if I experienced, obviously nothing even close to the bullying in this book. I never saw anything that extreme, but, um, yeah, just, just some, uh, most, mostly verbal. Um, yeah. In junior high, there was some, there's one person I remember just everyone wanted to fight all the time and never really Hmm. got it. And I, I, I do remember that. I I don't know. I guess that was bullying. I, I, yeah. Not sure how to categorize that, but I don't know if you remember what I'm talking about. I don't. But, okay. Yeah, we'll talk um, off mic. <laughs> we can talk off mic, but yeah. but yeah, for the most part, it's most mostly verbal, which I mm. think it's easy to write that off. You know, I think a lot yeah. of people are like, ah, oh, that's just teasing or breaking balls, and it's like, no, I think if it's it's you know bullying when you see it. Yeah. You no, know? it's and just it's, locker it's room wanna, talk. Fucking a right. <laughs> Um, and you know, some of it was in the locker room. That's where it, mm-hmm. that's where I saw it happen. You know, again, there's that dynamic of jock teasing the nerd. Yeah. And really for me, it was, you know, people, other jocks teasing other jocks. Yeah. And, and I think, I think it's safe to categorize it as like verbal, verbal bullying. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. What, what about you? What, what, how did you, I don't, you know, I don't, I, I agree. There was definitely verbal and like, emotional kind of bullying that was present um and it's interesting because like i don't i don't really i never think about high school i don't really care anymore you know um yeah but like i remember like i was a ball of anxiety and everything and like some of like i can't remember specific uh specific like examples or anything but like i remember like the relatively like uh uh playful like kind of breaking balls thing like that like i like like imagine the the (laughs) imagine like the michael jordan uh gif where it's like i took that personally like when you're a teenager and everything is everything is important and you feel like everyone's opinion is important that creates this just incredibly delicate the ecosystem <laughs> that like something and also as I should point out i had undiagnosed depression during high school um right, right so like any anything that could be construed in a negative way or taken seriously even if it's said in jest could be completely like just not earth shatter shattering but it could be like oh i'm like i'm upset <laughs> like this is a bad day now um right. so yeah so I, and i'd be curious to know uh like what the curious but not that curious to know like what the climate is in like high school like settings now uh now yeah. that like bullying is something that you know is is more talked about i think it's morphed into um 
uh, I'm not even sure how to categorize it, but uh, basically pressure. Mm. No, I, I think, I think it's morphed into social media. Yeah. Oh and yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's like comparing lifestyles, comparing, mm-hmm. uh, body types, comparing, yeah. uh, home life, um, what you project onto social media. I think that's mm-hmm. become, I think that's what bullying has morphed into. And it, yeah. I, I'm obviously not an expert. This is all just right. my opinion. This is all um, uh, conjecture. But you know, I um, I think it could be even more poisonous than the bullying was. But oh, oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, the the suicide rate for teenage girls mm-hmm. has quadrupled since we were in high school, and that's Jesus. That's horrifying. Yeah. You know? Um. Yeah. Welcome to my TED talk. Yeah. Right. Um. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I like I I have I, like I've thought about this and said this before, but like I I can't imagine I can't imagine being a teenager again, but being a teenager in the world of social media and everything. Like I can't I oh, I God. yeah, like we oh, had I AOL, think about that a lot. Yeah, oh yeah. Like we had AOL Instant Messenger. That's about it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And like that, that was navigating that as an anxiety filled teenager who had like, uh, had a brain disorder that made me think less of myself on a consistent basis, undiagnosed depression. Um, that was navigating. That was hell itself. I can't imagine like, Oh, social media. Like, no, no, thank you. I completely agree. My uh, sister-in-law was a high school teacher Mm -hmm. and uh, she finally quit. She just Mm -hmm. got a new job. Uh, She just started um, summer and um, Mm -hmm. her, her attitude and her stress levels have already changed just in two or three weeks. Um, And that, that was not about pressure that the kids experienced. It's it's just about the, uh, shit she went through and uh, you know the, the school system she was at wasn't really bad it wasn't you mm-hmm. know like a like a horror story but it wasn't good either okay and it's just the the presence of social media and phones and the technology like she would just have kids just like start a facetime call in the middle of class oh god she's trying, she's trying to teach and then like she goes over there and it's like facetiming their parents <laughs> jesus and she would be like, okay, mom and dad, we need to hang up the phone now. And she would go mm-hmm. to hang up the phone and the kid was like, you can't touch my personal property. No, she's oh, assaulting God. me. She's harassing me and Ugh. would turn into a thing. And it was, I was just like, I have no clue how she put up with it as long as yeah. she did. But she's a Ugh. teacher for like 10-ish years and she was just like, I'm, I'm done. And yeah. so she's already, already feeling so much better at her new job. So, nice. I mean. It's good for her, but it That's just awesome. makes me worry for all the other thousands of teachers out there, you know, yeah. to put up that shit. Yep. And the kids, how they're growing up. Of course. Of yeah. course the kids too. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um. Well, yeah. Do you want to go into spoilers for Carrie? Totally. Yes. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and play uh, uh, some music to separate our spoiler discussion from our non-spoiler discussion. Uh, check the show notes for timestamps and all that. But uh, when we come back, we're going to be spoiling Carrie the novel.
right, and spoilers on for Carrie. Um, Tiny, so you said that the story was very ubiquitous um, because of pop culture and all of that, and having seen the 2013 movie as well. Um, how did you feel about it in the written form and, uh, did anything about it surprise you or was it pretty much what you expected? Um, I think it was, the book is even more, um, diabolical than the 2013 Mm -hmm. movie I saw. Like that's, that obviously has its elements of, you know, uh, disturbing elements and, uh, horror and stuff like that. But the book, I, I think because it's, um, getting a glimpse into Carrie's mind mm-hmm. um, just makes it all the more horrific. Um, makes it so much more potent mm-hmm. or um, and was just highly effective. Like, again, I was just so disturbed, yeah. disturbed by it. Um, and then her, that's why there's now just her mm-hmm. reaction to it where she literally starts to destroy the town. Yes. Um, and she, I, I knew that. So I knew that, going into the book and going into the movie back in 2013, I knew that she like went nuts and like killed people and went crazy, but mm-hmm. um, I never really understood that she like locks them in the gym, electrocutes them oh, with the yeah. water. And she's like, uh, blowing all the, uh, fire hydrants and she's destroying the town. Mm-hmm. I, I, I never fully understood the carnage, the true carnage that she, uh, that she wreaked on the town, if you will. Yeah. Um, it was, that was especially uh, potent in the book. Uh, and and I, I, it's, yeah. it's great storytelling, but it's just disturbing, you know? Yeah, I agree. And, and to King's credit, um, and it's something that he does a lot. We've talked about a lot, him building up toward the finale um, and building up the tension and hinting at, you know, what the climax of the story is. And a lot of times he kind of tips his hat a little too much. Sometimes, well, sometimes he does that, but here, like we know from the outset, like, Oh, something terrible happened. Something devastating happened. And, uh, yeah, as we, like, as we progress through it, like we need to prepare for something horrific. And, what we get is like double what the expectation is sort of um, because of the town destruction and everything. But just like the, the completely horrifying prospect of, of locking people in the gym and just going to town on them and electrocuting them, killing them and everything is just devastating it really brings home the tragedy of the story and one part that i really um continuously get in my head about or not in my head about but i it it sticks with me every time i read this read this book is when uh miss uh miss desjardins uh tries to help carrie or she tries to do something like she like yells at yells at Carrie when the chaos is ensuing and in Carrie's mind she's saying that like she's saying like I can see who she really is she's actually like she's not on my side she's not she doesn't she doesn't like me she thinks I'm a freak too and everything and then I believe she kills her um at that point too and it's just it's it again plays up that whole that whole teen hormonal 
everything like any attention that's paid to you or is brought down to you whether positive or negative could be construed as an is as an extreme negative that will spiral you into actions that cannot be taken back and it's 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 really horrifying um yeah yeah i think that's a good example of uh how you put it earlier which was you said that when you're that age and in that ecosystem of high school, everything matters. Yeah. That's, that's such, that's so true. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, everything is either funny or uh, silly or super dramatic or just uber important, but it's like, it's, it's a fucking history quiz. Calm down. Like yeah, Exactly. Yeah. Right? Or it's like, it's, it's, it's a joke or something, mm-hmm. you know, but just never know and and like such a fragile teenage mind how how something's gonna affect them and you know it it's it's really i kind of forgot about the whole um gym teacher Mm -hmm. thing where she's basically like this kid's weird and a freak but i kind of have an obligation to stop this or help her but i don't really want to and Mm -hmm. carrie picks up on that you know and that's um she holds it against her later Mm -hmm. but you know uh teacher probably was thinking it was an insignificant thing. Mm-hmm. Right? It's something she probably didn't even necessarily remember. Well, yeah. I'm not sure she remembered the whole tampon thing, but right. Um, well, and you she, know, it, it, it was insignificant to her, but it was hugely important to Carrie. Yeah, at, absolutely. And like, she tries to extend that olive branch. She tries to, uh, throughout the story, she is, she's in Carrie's corner. She is, she's punishing the, the kids that, bullied her in the locker room and everything and it's just it's so it it's kind of a weird indictment of like you know bully culture if that's a thing but like of of just saying that oh hey i mean you can do everything you can but that's maybe not enough it's very bleak um right yeah but the, another thing about just kind of like the bullying aspect of the story is that something I found really interesting that King did is that when they when they pull the cord and the the blood comes down and everything, um, the bucket hits um, Tommy in the head and like it's kind of said that like that's kind of what killed him like he dies from that and like to just think about that as as kind of an example of cruel, the cruelty of cruelty and lack of foresight of children, basically that are teenagers and are driven by their hormones and everything and driven by this like fragility of like a developing brain and everything. And, um, to the point where they will do something that is incredibly heinous, incredibly cruel, very much just, I mean, it is, it is a despicable act that they do. And then even without the supernatural stuff, without the telekinesis, without any of it, like that alone is something that killed a kid. Like, and I just find that to be really interesting that King implemented that in it almost as if to say that you know i mean it you know this is a this is a crazy 
telekinesis story, but also look how fucked up these kids are. <laughs> and yeah. Teenagers are dumb. They're, yeah. They're oh, idiots. Yeah. And what's crazy is they don't know it. They think they know everything. Mm-hmm. Really, they know fuck all. Nope. And yep. they they can't see all the consequences of their actions. Right. And fuck, Jesus, I was so guilty of that when I was mm-hmm. a kid. Oh, yeah. Um, now, it never resulted in anyone dying. Yeah, right. Um, you know, that's that's a... Um, uh, it's, it's, it's a great example of that, right? Mm-hmm. That Tommy, Tommy dying from the bucket hitting him in the head, you know, that's like when you're done teenage, you're like, Oh, we're going to do this. And it's going to be funny. <laughs> and yeah. then the guy fucking dies. Yep. Yep. I mean, that's, that is the most teenage thing I can think of. Absolutely. Just lack of consequences or lack of thoughts of consequences because, Hey, you're untouchable. You're a teenager. These are the best Invincible. years of your lives. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's 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 messed up. Um Yeah, and and the other side of that or the other kind of um thing to kind of talk about Carrie as a character when she is at the prom and she is um like she is kind of on cloud 9. She's realizing like, "Oh, this is like she's experiencing experiencing a completely different side of what is her entire life, basically. Um, that and and when we watch the De Palma film, uh, we'll talk about that as well because I think that's that's depicted very well in the movie. But in the book, it's just it is so like it's it's like I said, it's it's that locomotive that's heading toward disaster. But in that moment, we want it to kind of switch switch tracks and go down like like we want her to be okay <laughs> um, because it feels just so good that she feels happy for once. And it's it's kind of cruel on Stephen King's part. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, did that resonate with you at all? Yeah, definitely. But I think I think it mostly. Um... Mostly I was just thinking about like how this is just all set up. This is mm-hmm. just attempt to build her up just to tear her down. Yeah. Um, that was, I mean, I guess only partly because um, Sue is actually, she actually wanted Carrie to enjoy that moment and yeah. have some redemption, but everybody else was like, fuck that. We're going to build her up and tear her down. Right. We're going to use this to, to take her down a notch again. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I, I just knew as the I knew it was building towards that, and it's mm-hmm. like just added to the cruelty for me. I wasn't really thinking about oh, this is a nice moment for her because it's like <laughs> yeah. no, it's all going to get ripped away in, in a heartbeat, you know. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yep. <laughs> so, I totally I get so. what you're saying. Though. Oh yeah. It's, you know, it's like we need a break from all this. Uh, tragedy and uh, craziness, um, which yeah. I think we kind of we have that tender moment at, at the very end, which I don't, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily mean to, to jump all the way to the end, oh, but um, she, she's, she confronted her mom. She's, she mm-hmm. has a stab wound and she's basically dying. Yeah. And um, Sue finds her and they have like a conversation. I think it's partly telepathic. Yeah. Like Sue, Sue like asks her to like look inside her to, you know, see that she didn't intend this and everything. And like she, that right. this wasn't her doing. Yeah. Right. 
and we get a tender moment between those two characters. And like, yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of too late. Mm-hmm. She's going to die, but um, it's, that that is the one redeeming kind of, I don't know about a joyous moment, mm-hmm. but it's a, you know, it's, it's a moment of preve. Yeah. All the horror and just torture and awfulness of the book. Um, and I, I'm glad that, I don't know if you can call it a happy ending, but mm-hmm. something she kind of makes a friend. Like it's like there, there's, there's yeah. a reciprocity of respect and empathy between two characters. Mm-hmm. And Mary, I don't know that she's ever felt that. No, uh, no, definitely not. And it's interesting oh. too, because even Sue has like that moment where she is like uh, thinking about thinking about, uh, tommy and carrie and like she even said like she even has a moment where she's like yeah well maybe tommy will fall in love with her and everything and wouldn't that be wouldn't that be hilarious or wouldn't that be rich like oh yeah and you know it's implied that she's pregnant with his with his kid and everything um but even that's like that's playing up the the status of carrie like oh there's there's no way that would happen um, I'm a good person cause I put this, put this thing together for, for her, but also, yeah, she's, she's still Carrie White. I'm still Stu, Sue Snell. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't really remember mm-hmm. seeing that well where she confronts her mom. Yeah. I um, remember what, phys- what physically happens, but I can't remember all the dynamics of what was said and everything. Yeah. The, the matricide moment is really it. And I'm curious to see, I, I'm excited to go back and watch the movies and everything because I feel like 2013's remake or either 2013 or the 2002 made for TV movie handled it the best way because what it, I just find it really interesting that like Margaret see, I think Margaret sees that all the destruction and everything going on or she's in her head about like Carrie, like, Oh, now Carrie has a social life. Carrie. Now, now this man is going to take Carrie to like a, like a bar. And then, and then he's gonna, he's going to have sex with her and in, in the parking lot. And she's going to, you know, she's not going to be pure and she's like, she's going to have the same things, uh, happen to her that happened to me and everything. And she has all of this like anger and rage and she gets the knife and she's like prepared to kill Carrie and Carrie comes home and she's like, I came here to kill you and you came here to like, you're, you're ready to kill me. Like that's really fitting or whatever. I don't know. She didn't, she didn't say anything like that. Like she, (laughs) she just commented on it. Um, but the way that she kills her mother is incredible and intense and personal. She uses her telekinesis to, I believe it's to slow down or stop her heart. And yeah. And the way King describes it, like the blood leaving the vessels and everything is just like, that is, that is such a, just such a not uh, such such a horrific end for a horrific character but also just just very very brutal and personal kind of fucking cool really Uh, yeah yeah i was gonna say that too 
<laughs> if you're gonna have telekinesis in a in a movie and a character just go absolutely ham, why yes. not have her just like? I mean, it would have been even cooler if she just like moved her heart from her chest or something. Yes, with telekinesis that would have been. Oh yeah, kind of like, like a fun gory thing. Which I don't know if that's really in tone with mm-hmm. with this story. Maybe it is. Yeah. I don't know. But uh, if he uh, yeah, Temple of Doom. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah but that that was just really oh that that i always kind of wince at that and everything um you're chilling sure yeah um did you catch the um uh the body reference or connection so um I never noticed this. I, I never knew this, but when they talk about the Amico gas station in town that's being uh, destroyed and everything, um, they say it is uh, Teddy's Amico, and they uh, it's it's Teddy Duchamp from The Stand, from uh, or oh. uh, not The Stand, but from The Body slash Stand by Me. Um, okay. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we can kind of start winding down. Um, what else can we talk about in spoilers? Like anything else we didn't we didn't talk about or any thoughts you had on the book? Well, we didn't talk about the whole. Um, I don't know what you want to call it—the side story of the like investigation. Oh yeah. That. I thought that was a little, um, almost a little out of left field, and just kind of. Okay. Um, place maybe i it kind of took me out of the story a little bit and mm-hmm. i was just a little it was just a it was just an, an odd thread kind of a yeah. loose thread i think i think it could work if you're showing it in a movie mm-hmm. you're showing like a news interview or something yeah. or um scenes from a court uh uh, uh battle or something yeah i think it could be effective in that way but i it just felt a little um kind of jarring and kind of took me out of the story a little bit um yeah, yeah I, I i didn't really care for it that much i you know i'll i'll agree in part i i didn't mind it um like the the idea of the government putting together like a white commission and kind of figuring like like having parts of the book or or um the epistolary parts of the book include like um, testimony from the white commission is really interesting. The part that I, that, that took me out of it. And I think that part of that is, is part of this is because of the audiobook uh, process of this or like reading the audio or listening to the audiobook as opposed to a physical book is when you get the testimony kind of toward it, toward the end of, I think the the sheriff of Chamberlain, um, that uh they are asking him asking him questions and it's like it's literally like question uh do you know who this was answer yes i did question answer question answer and it's just it drags it down a little bit now i think that only happens really at the end but it was still like okay we're like okay i don't want to read a transcript of something (laughs) like i just want i just want to watch the world burn um (laughs) <laughs> nice yeah but yeah, yeah that 
I think if, if maybe in, in actual written form too, like if mm. I was reading the physical book that may have uh, translated better or uh, I may have acted with it more, but mm-hmm. uh, so maybe it's just not an audio book thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And again, I've only, re- I listened to this book one time. So right. I really need to, to give it a, give it a go. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to dig up my top 19. Um, okay. So, uh, do, do we want to kind of wind down, uh, or have anything else to say about Carrie? I think that pretty much covers it. Okay, nice. Um, yeah, and and I kind of forgot to run through. I I kind of briefly did, but um, uh, <laughs> it was adapted uh, by Brian De Palma in 1976, and uh, then in 1999 there was a sequel movie that's kind of unrelated to the source material, but The Rage Carry Two. Um, and then in 2002, I think Brian Fuller was involved in this, but uh, there was a made-for-TV movie. Um, and then in 2013, there was a remake. And then also in the late 80s, um, I'll just read from Wikipedia, a Broadway musical adaptation, Carrie, was staged in 1988. It had transferred to Broadway from the Royal Shakespeare Comfort Company in Stratford-upon-Avon, England. Uh, the book and orchestrations were revised and updated for a 2012 off-Broadway production. The 2012 off-Broadway production was a moderate success, receiving mainly positive reviews, unlike its predecessor. Um, so that's kind of interesting. I would have loved to have seen the musical. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, but as far as rankings are concerned, um, it is not in my top 19 favorite King novels. Um, I will say that I do have, like, I have read 42 Stephen King novels, not including short story collections and stuff. I have a different, different list for that, but, um, of the 42 novels I've read, Carrie is sitting at number 31. Um, so that feels a little bit low, but also King has a lot of stuff. (laughs) <laughs> a lot of good stuff. Um, where where do you kind of rank this, if anywhere? Would it make your top nineteen? I think it might. I'm I'm looking at my my top nineteen right now, and bottom bottom ten are really pretty interchangeable as far as where they're ranked. Mm-hmm. Like my number ten is Cujo, but that could easily be my number eighteen or whatever. Yeah. Like. It's, it's, I just kind of, it's not really about the number. It's just right. that like I want, I want them on my list sort of. So I think I might be comfortable removing, um, my 12 spot, which is Mr. Mercedes and oh, putting, and putting Carrie in there. Just, just, I'll, I'll put it tentatively. I'll okay. put that out there. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. That's yeah. good to hear. Um, yeah. nice. Uh, I do have a quick anecdote. Um, <laughs> uh i don't know how this is gonna sound i don't know how i'm going to sound with this but um i have recently been when i go to sleep i have recently been playing i've been playing episodes of podcasts and uh i mean uh a lot of them are my own podcasts (laughs) um so (laughs) 
I, uh, yeah, so I've been listening, like, sleeping to the sound of our shows, and, uh, I fell asleep listening to our Top 19 Stephen King Adaptations episode of Tower Junkies, and, like, in the dream, and, like, this doesn't usually happen when I have outside noise playing while I sleep, but I think because I know the thing that I'm listening to so well, it's infiltrating my dreams. But like I had a dream where I was editing that episode <laughs> of the podcast <laughs> because <laughs> I was so listening random. to it. Yeah, very random. But anyway, um, yeah, yeah. I also had a dream where I spoiled the Dark Tower series for my sister intentionally um, and felt very bad about it. But yeah. Um, wow, talk about evil. I know, right? Um, yeah, yeah. But then again, she'll never read the Dark Tower series, so. True. Yeah, so, I don't know. My wife is so, uh, the opposite of spoilers for me. Oh, yeah. She actually, she actually wants to know what's going to happen. Oh, wow. Like, when we were watching The Godfather, she Mm -hmm. was like, she's like, She's like, what's going to happen to Fredo? <laughs> I'm like, watch, watch the fucking movie yeah. and you'll find. She's like, I don't care. I just tell me. <laughs> so I was like, all right. I told her and she's like, oh, okay. And then she watches it and I'm like, what? I don't, I don't understand that. <laughs> yeah. like, she just, she just doesn't care. She's like, just tell me what happens. Yeah. I, it's crazy to me. Honestly, I don't get that either. Jess is kind of the same way, but not as aggressive with that. Like she, like she will watch a show and then she'll get kind of like so uh so she's been watching 911 uh the fox procedural oh, or yeah. act, whatever Ryan Murphy show it's she's liking it um and at one point there's like a there's like a plot thread where um there's like a mystery about someone's background or backstory, his childhood. And like a couple of episodes um, kind of pass where it's like hinted at. And she's like, I, I need to know. I need to know. And I was like, I'll look it up. I don't care. Um, so <laughs> I looked it up and I was like, oh, that's pretty wild. And then uh, like she was like, you need to tell me right now. <laughs> like You need to tell me. Um, wow. Yeah. But I didn't. And yeah. It just- Paige is so bad about it. We'll be watching something um, like historical. Mm-hmm. We were we were just recently watching. Um, I think it was called First Lady on Showtime. Oh, okay. Um, about like they picked three first ladies: um, Eleanor Roosevelt, mm-hmm. Betty Ford, and Michelle Obama, and they just kind of did. Have you heard of that? Have you? I I've heard, heard something about it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um. It was it was a pretty, pretty good show. I. Nice. Liked it a lot, but she was like, we were like one or two episodes in. She was like, oh, she just pulls up her phone and starts Googling Betty Ford. Like what happened oh, to Betty wow. Ford? I'm like, well, are you fucking kidding me? Like you're going to spoil all. And she, I was like, don't tell me. I don't want to know. Yeah. I don't know anything about Betty Ford. Really? <laughs> I, I don't want to know what happens. Like, wow. Fuck. <laughs> and after an episode, when something would happen, I'd go and look up how accurate it is. Yeah. Oh yeah. Or when we finished it, I would mm-hmm. say, like, okay, who, who is this character and how she know this? Oh, okay, this was someone <laughs> who worked with her husband, so on and so forth. But yeah, it, that just that just boggles my mind that mm-hmm. she does that. When we're yeah. watching the Queen, she does that. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, I, <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry for the tangent. But. 
Oh yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah, that's our review of Carrie, uh, the novel. Um, glad to hear that it'll that it'll possibly make your top nineteen. That's exciting. Um, yes, sir. Yeah. Oh, and I I meant to mention that um, the famous famously the anecdote uh, that. Uh, Tabitha dug a draft of it or, or parts of pages from it out of the trash and like kind of encouraged King, encouraged Steve to, uh, to keep working at it and everything. And like, um, I had read that he, he wrote, he wrote the novel, this was the fourth novel that he wrote, but the first that was published and he wrote it while they were living in a trailer i think and he wrote it on like a um a typewriter that he borrowed from tabitha like it was tabitha's typewriter um okay so yeah so good good that's cool yeah um i didn't realize it was the fourth one that he wrote i knew it was the first one he published Mm -hmm. that's interesting yeah yep so that just goes to show behind every good man there's uh, a good woman that's willing to dig stuff out of the trash. So tell them about periods. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. <laughs> um. All right. Should we wind down and end this episode? <laughs> Sir. Yep. All right. Well, we are gonna go ahead and uh get out of here. So uh, thank you guys so much for listening, and uh, we'll be back next time with our review of Brian De Palma's 1976 movie of Carrie. Um, so look forward to that. Once again, um, please check out Patreon if you want more content. Uh, like I said, I've been doing what I've been dubbing the Church of King, where, uh, mostly on Sundays, hopefully I can keep to that, but on Sundays I release an episode, um, on Patreon for $2 and above patrons, um, where I talk about, uh, a collection, uh, four stories from, a Stephen King short story collection. Right now I'm doing Nightmares and Dreamscapes. Tons of content up there. Um, and I also have Skeleton Crew and Night Shift um, on there. I also have my in-progress re- reviews from last year or so about uh, Billy Summers. I'll be doing that for Fairy Tale in September as well. So uh, sign up, patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer at the $2 and above levels. Um, Tiny, any parting thoughts? all right great well uh thank you guys so much for listening and uh yeah long days and pleasant nights may you have twice the number yeah and now here's a short clip from our patreon exclusive rss feed to hear the full clip and more exclusive patreon content go to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of one dollar per month thank you and enjoy which is maybe a little bit of a stretch because it is an insane preposition proposition. It's an insane idea that, oh, okay, the rainy season, like we, we're a small town and this rainy season comes once every seven years and you need to protect, protect yourself from it. Okay. Well, no, that is ridiculous. That's insane. Um, but it's also this idea of like, well, if they did tell them directly, like, oh yeah, the toads are going to come down, they're going to kill you, um, and they're going to destroy everything in this ritualistic thing that comes once every seven years, they would have the same reaction, like, oh no, you guys are fools. We know more than you because we are from a different economic class. We're a different. We're from a different area of the country. You're just trying to scare us because of that baked in. 
um, maybe light animosity that our two cultures or our two economic states um, are, you know, kind of kind of predetermined to have. Like that conflict is supposed to be. This podcast was edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find links to all of our shows at ObsessiveViewer.com slash podcasts. For exclusive bonus content, including reviews, commentaries, and B-roll episodes, you can subscribe to our Patreon at Patreon.com slash ObsessiveViewer. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.